Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, hey, great uh, to see everyone. It is. Yes. We're back after a little bit of a break, and it's me, Tess, Judge Ellis, and uh, Andrew Witters, and right Rebecca Porter. And we're excited because we're going to talk a little bit about how things have been going professionally for all of us. And then we brought in a guest today, Melissa Tweet. That's right. And so, anyway, how, what has been going on? I'm excited about what I'm doing these days, which is looking at vulnerable populations. Um in a different way from a systems approach. And I don't know if I've been talking to you guys about this, but this idea of being called to as nursing professionals, that where can we offer our best services to patients? I'm happy with the fact that I can write a prescription. I'm happy with the fact that I can treat your diabetes. And, and you know, we've had these 50 years of... of proving that we're not going to kill someone with a prescription pad any more than a physician will. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to misdiagnose or mistreat somebody for 50 years. That's done. Now, where's this next wave of nursing going to take us? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what population, given the fact that we all acknowledge that our medical system isn't doing the best, there's some things we do exceptionally well, and there's other things that from a system and from a vulnerable population that people are falling through the cracks. And I've always been saying that this is a really great opportunity in the midst of chaos for nursing to show what we do well and to the populations that matter the most to nursing's. And you would agree, right, Rebecca? I mean, from a history standpoint, the vulnerable population in... That's where nursing has... You look at the history of nursing and you go back to... um, the nurse, the nun in Ireland, who even predated Florence Nightingale and started... Okay, Tess is laughing at me. Of course, you know, we're Irish files or whatever. Well, a lot of Americans don't think that nursing exists, you know, independently of anything. uh, Florence Nightingale. Well, and also, Andrew, as a male nurse, nursing started in the monastery. And there's a vulnerable population right there, men in nursing. That's right. Right. But, well, I'm being serious. Yes, I'm being serious, too. Okay, but, so, but I think when you look back at the history of nursing and go way, 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 way back, um, even centuries back, that that is where nurses have been called to, to work is with vulnerable populations and being on the, front, on the front line, like Florence Nightingale was on the front line. Sure. Yes. And she went against every single social moray of her time to do the work that she was doing. And so when I look at you, Tess, and what what you're doing and the um, ideas and thoughts that you have and how to reach people who need us, it's just really inspirational. I think it's time for nurse practitioners, and now with this whole uh, Medicaid expansion going away potentially, but it's clear there's not going to be any more money in healthcare to do things. Um, it's clear, though, that we have to move beyond the fee-for-service model. And but how are you get, You have to make a living. Well, this is true. I think that this is where, as nursing, as we look to as moving to the doctorate of nursing practice, as entry for advanced practice, then how are we saying, okay, a, a DMP should not be, how can I do the next vascular procedure as well as the physician. I'm not saying that you can't do that. What I am saying is that we need to be looking at how are you leveraging your relationship-based skills to work on a system level 
to make an impact in the vulnerable population. And where you leverage the money then is in documenting the savings of the costs to other to um, the stakeholders, right. which would be the hospitals or insurance companies or even communities. I think but, as we're moving into vulnerable populations from a community home base. care, and you think about how quickly people are discharged from the hospital um, that... Well, that yes, I mean, I think that... be looking after them at home? How is the ICU and, how, and the hospital extending into the community? Right. So I'm... I think that I'm really excited about what I'm doing right now, which is working to, you know, in the Iowa City area, we're looking at um, alternative. There's a big movement for um, a jail alternative. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, um, so if someone is uh, under the influence of a substance or having a mental crisis right now and comes to the attention of law enforcement, which is what happens when you get sick emotionally or behaviorally, then the police officer, they have two options. One is taking them to the emergency department, and the other is taking them to jail. So if a um, if the officer takes them to the hospital, which we can argue might not be the best treatment option, it, there is that takes up 10 to 14 hours of the officer's time versus going to jail, which takes up 45 minutes of paperwork. But that's not... Then the person has a criminal record. So... They're looking for a disease. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. So, I am having an interesting time bringing nursing to the table and saying, "Hey, nursing is has some interesting options and uh, in looking at this really vulnerable population, and so which is oftentimes homeless, substance using people with mental illness who um, have a variety of really complex social needs." And it's always been my contention that that's where nursing is going to shine, whether it's in the hospital or whether it's in outpatient care or wherever. It's it's the ones that need that relationship-based care, whether it's relationship between service providers mm-hmm. or relationship with the patient. So, And I think that this is really, um, I've got so many thoughts. Isn't it fun? Oh, my goodness. It's so cool to see that we can move on from this master's degree I can treat your diabetes and hypertension really well, mm-hmm. and I can, I'll can. i treat your sore throat, your strep throat, your back pain. I'll refer you to the right person. I will pick up on your, this doesn't look right, and we need to get you into a specialist. I can do that very well, and we've done that for 50 years, and there's literature, to data support that. to support this, okay? And now, with the doctorate, how can I help my populations that are the most vulnerable, and how can I show them that and do a nursing assessment at that level, mm-hmm. that's what the doctorate's about. So, And that's where I see us moving in the next 50 years. And at this time of chaos in insurance companies is oh, where demands a, a whole time. different... Well, politically, too. Well, it, well, politically, I was just going to sure. bring in the Affordable Care Act and, and how it's being threatened. And this is a time of chaos, and it's a perfect time. You look at all the people that are um, throughout the United States who have not had access to health care, and because of the Affordable Care Act, our hospitals and clinics are now full, full to overflowing of people who have not had care for decades, for years and years, and all of a sudden they're there, and now that's being threatened. And what's going to happen to all these people if, if what we most fear does happen? And actually, even getting care now is a whole new problem because, you know, before now there are just more people on the stage, and this is 
So it's a, it's that in and of itself is a problem is now there's more people available f- to get that can get care and that clogs up the system so also the other in thing a different I way. I want to bring up mm-hmm. here, Tessie and Andrew is that, um, we've talked previously about how important bedside nurses are that yep. mm-hmm. we're not putting out there that everybody needs to go get a DNP. Not everybody needs Clearly. to do that. Clearly. We need excellent, smart, intelligent, educated nurses at the bedside. That said, there's this projected shortage of nursing in the next five years of some 200,000 wow. nurses. We're getting so, old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you look at who is going to be at the bedside, and it's going to be a lot more untrained nursing assistants, uh, marginally trained medical office assistants, medical assistants, and they are going to need the leadership and the training on the job training of not only experienced, smart, intelligent bedside nurses who are getting to be fewer, but also doctorally prepared nurses that can look at the population that is on that unit and, and be able to guide that nursing care. What's exciting is seeing smart people going into nursing, choosing nursing, which I just love is, is, you know, even high school kids, when my son just graduated and one of his friends is, was talking to me about going into a different healthcare related field. And I said, what about nursing? (laughs) What do you think about nursing? And he's an 18 year old young man, just delight. He's got all the, the smarts that you need to have. And so kind of bringing it up as a career option for folks and really supporting, um, you know, down in my little clinic in Winfield, the, we are getting some help because we're out of a medical assistant. So it's me and the receptionist slash office manager slash half of my brain and I, and then whatever sub we can get to fill in. And one is a nursing student who's going to the community college. And I love supporting her too. And, and seeing her um, and others like them that <clears throat> struggle sometimes with the basics like pharmacology and math. and But those, I love watching her saying, I'm going to go get my LPN, but I have to move through this class first. And so nursing is so great like that because you can enter in at any point. Well, Andrew, how did you end up in nursing? Well, we talked about yeah, this. Yeah, we though. talked we did. about that, but it fits into, for people who haven't heard Andrew's story, I think... And then I also want to, I also think we should kind of catch up too on you guys on, because you're doing some cool things. Becky, what have, what have you done in the last couple of weeks since we've seen you? Before we get into our guest, Melissa, because I got to blab for a while, but I do want to hear. I want to hear about Andrew. Andrew. Andy. Or I just want to hear like your. Briefly, how you, how you, we really take over from Andrew, don't we? Oh, no. No, but he knows his place. Come on. (laughs) How you. Started off thinking more about medicine. I did, indeed. So I was a biology major in college, and long story short, I, you know, came down with Hodgkin's disease. Um, I went through my treatment regimen. Um, I was truly inspired by my nurses, and that's what was my launching pad into into the nursing career. That that that's the very short. Very yeah. abbreviated. But I, think, no, 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 listen, I want to talk. The, I want to hear Andrew's 
Like, because you're doing some cool stuff you yeah, were just talking just, about. We were talking yeah. about How you've this. negotiated in your job to use your doctorally prepared, like your DNP. Yeah. Like you're an expert yeah. nurse practitioner and you got your feet on the ground working within a certain sort of system. Yeah. And as so you move to another plan. job. This is mm-hmm. career planning. Yeah. And that you get your DNP and then what? Or you're thinking, Melissa's going to talk about thinking about a DNP. But sure. I think we want to take it even one step further. Well, let, well, let me tell you, tell you a couple things plan. that have... Yeah. Let me tell you a couple of things that I've been doing just over the past couple of, of weeks since, since we last met. Um, uh, first of all, uh, I'm working on a couple of nursing theories. I love which, 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 Yeah, of my own, which, oh, which I'm just really? like, I, I'm just crazy excited about. So, so I came from and built my career around the specialty uh, field and uh, very similar to Melissa, actually, which is one of the many reasons I admire. But like, in, in the vascular and thoracic world, um, and coming back into circling back into the primary care world, um, it's like a veil has been lifted a little bit. I'm seeing problems. I'm seeing innovative solutions. I think that that DNPs and, and certainly nurse practitioners can can be a part of. And so, so I I got my new office and I just started writing down these ideas of process improvement along with these theories that just kind of started rolling in. And so um, that's one of the big things I've been sort of working on lately. Meaningful nursing theories, nothing that's like too heady or cerebral, but something that's clinically applicable to the... And that resonates with you. That resonates with me, right. Yeah, and that you're seeing... So that's great because you can look at a theory from like extrinsically applied. Right. You know, and then how does it apply? Or you can work with nursing theories like... This kind of informed by yes, organic or intrinsically derived. So it's kind of a little hybrid. Cool. Yeah, 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 it's cool. Well, uh, is that like something you want to share? Yeah, should we just just do like a to be announced? Yeah, how about about like a to be announced? And then like the the other big project I'm working on is uh I'm 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 establishing my own uh, company here as well. I'm 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 filing to establish a a medical device company, particularly with. uh, dealing with uh, having patients relieve their their mucus. Um, oh yeah, uh, hot damn. Yeah, but, but I don't it's like mucus. But what, have you ever heard of like Ugh. acapella or yeah 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 yeah. So it's what a, is it? well, it's a it's a device that is you 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 blow into it. It creates a a uh, a resonance wave um, with a reed inside of this plastic or like an oboe. Uh, somewhat, but it, it it's mobile, and so it, so it vibrates, and that vibration loosens up all the mucus in a in a patient's lungs. It sounds really gross, but it's actually a truly no, I've got needed, detailed on it from a it's, respiratory it's a company, thing. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so um, so uh, I went to a nursing home uh, again. Long story short, went to a nursing home, and the as majority a provider, as a right? provider, mm-hmm. I'm seeing all these people having uh, pneumonia like. Uh, Rock, bronchi um, chests, right? Yeah. And, and this is this is this is not just like one or two patients. This is like the majority of the patients that were there. I'm like, well, they need to be on some kind of a vibratory pep, right? Mm-hmm. And my provider that I was with was like, well, w- what is that? Like, this like my colleague. So, so there was a huge opportunity for me to to a teach the population, b teach the the fellow. Uh, uh, colleagues who are in a in a uh, sort of a stringent medical model, right? And then, what can we do to make this this community, 
this micro community of, of patients better. Andrew Witter's rock star. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and just so, announcing it right so, here. Right and, and, now. Then, and then on top of that, like there was a huge cost for, for acapella devices, like the, like these, like they're like 50 bucks. And, and it's not like they're a, uh, it's not like it's a well-made, durable product. I mean, if, if this thing cracks, it's, it's, it's broken and it's 50 bucks down the toilet. Wow. And so, so my, my goal is to basically to make a, um, uh, durable, a, a durable pocket size one that someone can take with them. Or so All they're right. not spitting into it. Well, no, no, they're not necessarily sp- like the, the 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 spitting or the expelling of that mucus is not necessarily a concern. It's just Parking. that because uh, because usually it's something that people will do truly in in private. I mean, it's and it's not like they're at the mall <laughs> hacking the stuff up like at Yonkers or something. You know? At Tufts Hospital and. People from different countries have different ways of dealing. You're with right. Yeah. Their yeah. Well. Spit. Yeah. There are. And there, you're right. There are cultural. Uh, yeah. I know. Well, I mean, mucus things. is right. I mean, we produce X amount yes. of well, stuff and, and, that and we swallow and digest. This is why, I left, this is why I left being a bedside nurse. And this is why I left being a nurse <laughs> practitioner. And it's everywhere. This is what nursing is, though. Nursing fluids. hunkers down with the stuff, you know. Yeah. With the, and it's everywhere in your body, though, which, which makes which makes the body truly, functionally speaking, amazing. Right, I mean, from from your ears to your eyes to your mouth to I know. all your other membranes. I mean, there, there, really there's mucus there. I'm really glad that you are into <laughs> this because that's really well, great. But so, so the the thing with this kind of, of a device is that it will ultimately help people uh, prevent uh, pneumonia or um, uh, and it'll help them re- right, recover have better respiratory from, status. Right. And, well, and, and, and it's something that's also used as, uh, as Melissa is well aware of. I mean, it's, it's something that's used after surgery, after lung operations. Love it. And, well, I think this is so, really great. I was reading a paper yesterday that I happened upon about um, innovation in nursing. Right. And, and, and I want to push for that, Rebecca. Right. And there's some really great literature um, and I think there was a conference recently or a workshop at Mount Mercy in nursing. Um, they had to get canceled, yeah, I got think. Canceled, oh, getting, get, oh, isn't that too, too bad? Yeah. I think they're going to relaunch it again But I think that this is another fall, really yeah. big mm-hmm. avenue for creativity in nursing. Yeah. Um, to be look, not only looking theoretically at what we're doing in our own practices, but um, to, to start looking at what can I do to devise a better way? How can I help? And isn't that great? Because I think the strictly medical model of, of looking at a huge population of people with bronchi chests. Is that a, uh-huh. is that a nursing diagnosis? That's your, I don't know. Bronchi, bronchi, bronchi yeah. chest. <laughs> that's a, that's I think everyone knows exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. We, I, we know a, what you mean. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the go-to would be to give them a, one of those drugs that loosens up crap in sure. your chest. I forget like what it's called. Or something yeah, or... something like that. Um, inhalers and then physical sure. therapy with a lot of pounding on their chest which can get really uncomfortable. And so you are really looking at another way that people can do this at home. Right. In, in, in the privacy of home, but also um, saving a visit to a clinic, saving medical costs, saving pharmaceutical costs. Well, that would be costs. the next thing is testing it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, frankly, is in a realm that I'm still slowly uncovering. This is what I love about you, though, Andrew, is you're not afraid. And this has always been our discussion. It's like every time, because, you know, Andrew and I 
have this, he drove down with me in the car. That's right. right. Twice a week for a whole semester to my little clinic in a town of a thousand. And so we would talk major conceptually. We'd talk about nursing profession, about nurse practitioners. And, but always says, well, why, why can't you do this? What's stopping you from do this? What is, yeah. how do we move forward in this? So that is, that is the, and that's the curiosity that we love to see and the, the kind of, um, it's, it, it's so great to feel that sense disappearing of I'm just a nurse. Right. Mm. And that, that, yes. that, that's what, that's what yes, drives, yes, that's yes. what drives me crazy. Like when people will, uh, ask her uh, what I what I might do, and I, I still identify myself as a nurse. And I do, of course, I've been nursing so sure. often. Not, not not so much anymore, especially because I've I've gotten a little more vociferous in my in, now in my career. Confident, but, confident, yeah, confident, perhaps. Yeah, is, is a, your is another inner word. bitch is coming yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I have like an inner bitch, oh, yeah, but I mean, I, I just kind of, I just, I immediately just, I I say, I say to people like, well, I'm not, I'm not just a nurse. Like, I just kind of look at him and say, I'm just like that. Like, I'm not just a nurse, man. Come on. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm more than just, just that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a care provider. And then, and then I mean, to, what do you mean by just a nurse? I right. Mean, yeah. It's, it's, it? To me, it's, it's almost like a negative thing. Well, oh, we like, got to well, have respect to profession. Well, that, that's true. You know, I am a nurse. But, and I happen but, to yeah, be but through the lens, practice. And this is perhaps another podcast conversation, but through the lens of someone like me, who's also deals with the sexism of. Of, oh, no of, of nursing. Yep. I mean, frankly, I mean, and, and it's 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 really it really bothers me at, at times. Not 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 all the time, but I mean, it's there there is this feministic quality that we have attached to the idea and the label of a nurse. And, well, and, we and call you, you don't, well, you don't, well, well, it's okay oh, yeah, to have, have the to, feminine stuff attached to it. It's oh, well, the societal denigration and wanting to keep collar, you in your place. Calling, yeah. That's right. the problem. The pink collar right. attitude. Yeah. Right. And it's it's just not... Well, we're going to go off on a tangent here if we don't... Perfect time. I mean, it is good to kind of carry on the innovation and then the idea of moving forward in where does education get you in your capacity to be a leader. Sure. And so we're going to break a minute and then we'll bring in Melissa, who's our guest. Perfect. Okay. Great. See you in a minute. See you in a minute. Stretch break. So we're going to come back now, um, and we are really Welcome happy back. to have... Welcome, Welcome back, back We're going to have Melissa <laughs> um, tweet us here. So, Melissa, give us a little bit about your background. Um, hi, everyone. <laughs> I, I started as a nurse 11 years ago, um, and after school... And where'd you get from, your bachelor's? From the University of Iowa. Okay, I graduated good. from the University of Iowa. Um, and I did, during my bachelor's degree, I did a clinical in our surgical ICU, and at the time of graduation, they were hiring, so I just... Hopped right into a role there. Um, I worked in a bay that was mostly cardiothoracic. So I worked with heart surgeries, lung surgeries, and loved it. Um, I loved the adrenaline rush. I loved how patients turned around after surgery. They looked like crap when they came to the ICU and then turned around and went to the floor and looked amazing and went home amazing. Um, But I knew that the ICU was not going to be for me forever at bedside nursing. Um, I always uh, wanted to go to school for to become a nurse practitioner. so I went. Uh, Did that come up to you when you were in your undergrad? or was So I actually started my college career at a different school 
with a biology major. And I met a nurse practitioner who worked independently in Oregon, who was asking me what I wanted to do. Like the state of Oregon? The state of Oregon. So she was um, the sister of, or so I guess the aunt of one of my friends from college. And we were out drinking martinis one night. And she was telling me about this awesome career that she had where she worked independently as a primary care provider in a small town on a coast in Oregon. Wow. And I was like, oh, what Oregon. is that? Yeah, and how do I do that? Yeah, yeah. So that's where I first heard about nurse practitioning, looked into it, and moved my career, or my, I guess my college education, from Iowa State University, biology, planning to do who knows what with it. Smart women. <laughs> Smart women. <laughs> no Smart kidding. Men. Love it. Being mm-hmm. open. Yeah, to nursing school. Um, so I started probably a little bit later than all of my colleagues. I was... 20 when I started nursing school. So a lot of them started at 18 and I went through and then, yeah, like I said, worked for four years in the ICU and then went through the NP program at the University of Iowa with you, Tess. Yes, your family nurse practitioner. Yeah, and actually Andrew was yeah. in my class. That's Andrew, right, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're class. Class. Yeah, right. Did you have a great class? Yeah, we did have a great class. I didn't even come and talk. Did I come and talk to you guys? Uh-uh, I don't uh-uh. think at this point, so. Rebecca. Because no, when you started, Melissa, was a, it was a... Masters out. Had we started the there DMP, was no DMP or not? program? No, it hadn't even been started yet. No. Thank you. So I um, graduated with my master's degree and uh, wasn't sure what I was going to and do. When was that? When did you? Two thousand ten. Okay, so that was yep. gosh, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. And one of the surgeons that worked with cardiothoracic surgery had said that they were hoping to start a new role in their division with thoracic surgery, who used to have a PA that worked for them but had left and retired, and at the time the surgeons didn't see a need to replace that position, Um, and then shortly recognized that they did need somebody. At the same time, vascular surgery, who'd never had an inpatient nurse practitioner, was wanting to trial that role, and so I took a 50-50 role. So 50% vascular surgery, 50% thoracic surgery, um, which, as Andrew knows, is two huge and highly complicated and high-volume patient populations in our hospitals here in Iowa. Um, so I was run ragged. But I loved it. I worked 12-hour days, basically seven days a week, um, got a lot of great experience, worked with a lot of great physicians, and then we started to build our team on the vascular side, so I was able to step away from vascular and take a leadership role on cardiothoracic. So I now function not only as the thoracic nurse practitioner, but also as the lead nurse practitioner for cardiothoracic and vascular surgery. So nurse practitioners, I'm there to empower them, help them with process improvement projects, and then also just make sure that they're joint. Awesome. So tell me what your day, what your week looks like in yeah, your days. What do you do? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I. What did you do yesterday? So yesterday, okay, so I came in to work, um, got my numbers actually before I even come into the hospital so that I can come in prepared. What do you mean by numbers? So I grab vital signs. I look up all my patients, grab vital signs. Inpatient or outpatient? Inpatient, Mm -hmm. yep. Are you exclusively inpatient then? I was hired exclusively inpatient, but I am not exclusively inpatient. I do outpatient and inpatient. I go wherever the patient population is, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I do field a lot of phone calls from home. I take call. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So but, the role is... So yeah, yesterday you get your so numbers from home. Got so I get numbers. my numbers from home so I can walk in prepared because... So do you had, did you know your population there? Like, did you have like, a, okay, here's Melissa's patients. So I take care of all of our... We have three thoracic surgeons and I take care of all of their patients on the floor. Yeah. So they're all, I guess, quote unquote mine. 
Yeah, so this is where I actually want to get your thoughts on this. And now this is how I'm starting to talk to our graduates and our students about instead of saying I work with or for, mm-hmm. my practice is in mm-hmm. here and my practice involves the care of this population. Does yeah. that make sense? Because you see these, I've been coaching some new grad and uh, psych people and they say, well, I don't know if I want, Dr. So-and-so wants me to work with them. Or Dr. So-and-so wants me to work here. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That reframing <laughs> is essential. I, I just say, where do you want your practice to be? Mm-hmm. And how do you want your practice to develop? Who employs you? And who, how your payment is arranged mm-hmm. is different than my practice. I think it's empowering so, to hear. Frankly. It is, absolutely. And, and, so, and I've coached at least a couple people on that. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so no, I love that. So let's just, from here on out, can we make this personal pledge? Yeah. My practice is at the University of Iowa, <laughs> and it's in hospitals and clinics, and, and it's, through, it's with the population of patients here. Yes, I love that. Um, so and my, we love our surgeons. We this do. is not to say yes. that we don't that this is that you're not there, but this kind of paternalistic ownership of my nurse practice, that's a thing. It was it was actually a male psychiatrist who said, Well, you know, I'd love to have an, my nurse practitioner. Well, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. And then this gets into the sexism thing too, but which is go on, Melissa, yeah. talk more about your So I walk in, meet my surgeons in or meet the surgeons yeah. in my office and we run the list and go round on our, our floor patients. Um, we develop plans together based on all the information that, that I've gathered from the overnight. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the OR and I take over all my care. Um, so I'm pulling chest tubes, prescribing medications, doing assessments. Um, talking to the nursing talking staff. Talking to the nursing talking staff. Talking to all the respiratory yep. therapists, all those yep. people. Tons yeah. of multidisciplinary consultations throughout the day. Um, how where do you think receive? you learn? Yeah. Where do you think that... Um, your care differs from that of someone who doesn't have a nursing preparation? I think that it comes from the ability to communicate with patients and multidisciplinary teams. You know, as a nurse, a bedside nurse that most of us start out as um, in some fashion, um, you learn how to communicate with not only physicians appropriately, but also with all the other multidisciplinary groups. So, I mean, on a daily basis, I'm talking with nursing, physical therapy, occupational therapy, nutrition, social workers. We're doing basically from the time a patient is admitted to the floor, we're starting multidisciplinary disposition planning. And mm-hmm. and we include all the different teams on that plan. And how do you think your ability to uniquely assess what the patient needs is part of it because that's my that different thing. from uh, this is something Tessie and I have talked and Andrew have oh, talked like a lot about years, yeah. 25 years <laughs> of talking about this um how how are you seeing I used to be a nurse practitioner mm-hmm. at the same hospital a long time ago and and I guess I have two questions for you and one that really bothered me was how I was perceived as kind of a mildly deficient fourth-year medical student versus, and I would be quizzed by physicians to see what I knew. And I had to stand my ground and say, I am an expert nurse. We can have a conversation, but we're not having a Socratic method of a conversation. So do you encounter that? And how do you see that you really are a nurse and not replacing a cardiothoracic fellow? Yeah, so I actually, this, the surgeons that I work with are very supportive of our my role. Um, so they don't, I mean, I guess when we've had new staff come in, they've kind of questioned my knowledge base. Um, but I think I've shown them with my ability to care for the patients. My patient satisfaction scores are high. My, my 
um, you know, patients are safe. I'm, I'm calling them in when I feel uncomfortable, but for the most part, I can manage everything on the floor. Um, and I'm making clinical decisions about our patients every day and informing them of what I'm doing about the clinical decision or the clinical assessments with those patients. Um, and just through time. I just remember, yeah, that's really important. But how is your work as a nurse practitioner different? Are you using a, a nursing model? Or are you using a nursing theory? Or are you, or are you, as I happened to me, I fell into this medical model just because it was easier to get through the day. And, and that was me. And that was a source of one of my ethical mm-hmm. things that I struggled with. Yeah, you know, I think that it, it's important for us to use our nursing theory, but then on, on the inpatient side, I mean, it is difficult to use your your nursing skills and not also transition over to the medical model because that's what the surgeons or the physicians that you're working with expect, and it's easier to communicate with them in that fashion. Now, do I do I get asked questions about questioning my ability to care for patients or my knowledge on how to replace potassium? No, I don't. Um, they, that's, an expe- yeah. that's an expectation. That's an expectation of, of the role and that, that I would know how to do that. And when we bring in new hires, the nurse practitioners and PAs that we have are teaching our new people. We're mentoring each other. We're not expecting our surgeons or other physicians or fellow, like medical fellows, to mentor our nurse practitioners because our role is completely different. Um, and we've really taken ownership of our cardiothoracic patient population. In fact, I would say for the most part, our cardiothoracic patient population on the floor, on the inpatient side, and on the outpatient side is pretty much managed by all nurse practitioners and PAs. I think, you know, from personal experience, a long time ago I had to have thoracic surgery, and I so wish that there was a nurse practitioner back then Mm -hmm. in that service. Um, It was so hard to get hold of um, somebody after hours, and I would get, we would get, and I'm a nurse, I was then a nurse practitioner, and my husband is a physician, and we still needed guidance of what to do on a Friday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon. But, oh, my gosh, this is happening. And I would get hooked into a fellow on call who had no idea who I was mm-hmm. and and just sort of didn't hardly knew any more than I did about what to do. So I can see that having a nurse practitioner, and particularly relating to the nursing part of practicing, that I that I wish that that had been there. And it sounds like um, you're really fulfilling that role. There's so much gray. There's so much gray overlap between the roles. Well, to expand on Melissa's comments about working with multidisciplinary uh, professions, I think that especially in in a surgical-based profession where you are looking at recovery, outpatient setting issues, uh, the holistic... Uh, attitude uh, and truly the, the the care model is applicable and it's being applied when you don't even realize it's being applied not, not just clinically but uh, in, the, in the systems approach so you're, you're talking to physicians who might need a more medical oriented uh, uh, verbiage versus say a physical therapist who might need more 
anatomical landmark base. And isn't that that's perfect from a nursing standpoint? It's, it's I mean, perfect, you're assessing the situation right. and mm-hmm. meeting the needs all patient centered. I think that yeah. nurses yeah. in general uh, are good at being that that go between for for so many. Uh, that's the relationship uh, disciplines. And I think that at the the nurse practitioner and indeed at the DNP level, it just takes that that role to a just another degree. Like it just adds another layer of responsibility. All right. So when I hear Melissa talking about her uh, environment and the, the the clinical way in which she gives care, to me that's just that's just another way of of high level holistic care. I can like that high level holistic care. It's yeah. not junior doctor mm-hmm. or no. fellow. Yeah. Yeah. So talk then about if your decision to go back for a doctorate and your expectations of what a doctorate would do. And then, um, cause you're different choosing to go back for a doctorate and then, um, so go ahead. Yeah. So I was master's prepared, um, because at the time the doctorate was not something that was offered at the program that we were in. Um, but the, I didn't want to go immediately back. It was offered uh, two years later and I didn't want to go immediately back for that degree because I wanted to get myself immersed in my role, become an expert nurse practitioner in my role, and really be able to think about what projects needed to be completed to improve our roles. So more of process improvement projects that I could use for um, things in the doctorate program that make an impact, um, not just to do something to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I I really felt the call to come back for my doctorate at this point because not only did I step into this leadership role but and I you know I felt completely out of out of my realm. I mean they're talking what's your vision for cardiothoracic surgery and I'm thinking well my vision's 2020. So, you know, it's there's a a whole another paradigm shift in moving these nurse practitioners like myself into leadership roles that were never available to us until recently. Um, and so I think that the doctorate one can help me be able to articulate what my process improvement plans are better with administrators and physicians that speak that different language than I do, the, the non-medical language. Um, and then also I just, I don't think that there's, it's ever wrong to have more education. I mean, education has opened doors for me. It's, pushed me to think outside the box. It's helped me develop the skill sets to be able to answer those questions when I think outside the box. And so I'm really excited to get this doctorate because I I just feel like learning all these new skill sets about research and and not just clinically based education. It gets nursing at the table. It does. Okay. And this is the thing is if we're going to bring, if we're going to contribute to system solutions we have to be at the table. Mm-hmm. And even as a student, this is the, and, and people are like, I'm scared to go into these meetings with these, like the attorneys mm-hmm. or the administrators or something. And I say, well, you know, you remember the first time you gave a God dang shot. Okay. Remember how scared you were to do that? Mm-hmm. Remember the first time you took a patient back for the first time and started your first assessment? You have to get your ducks in a row. So you do your literature search and then you fake it. Mm-hmm. And you just ask good questions. Yeah. Just you do, just like you would ask somebody with sh- in the clinical setting or wherever with shortness of breath or, you know, no one's mm-hmm. dying in front of you in the, in this arena of stakeholder business. 
but you have to take your own pulse first and then ask silly questions like, okay, I don't know, understand what this in the Excel spreadsheet means. Mm -hmm. Can you help me understand how this cost analysis is done here? Those are the things that, and nursing gets at the table now. Right. And this is so good for you. Can I, can I take it back of course. a step? This is Rebecca. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been listening. I'm, this is really a great conversation. Thanks so much for being here, Melissa. Of it's course. really great. How did you know that you, where you wanted to go? Why aren't you doing an online program? Why are you going to a brick and mortar? Well, we are online. No, but no, I know you're okay, <laughs> but but you're gonna have face to face time, right? A lot synchronous. of synchronous. Let's just we can call it synchronous. So mandatory synchronous time, right? Okay. Yeah. Is that every program, or can you do program? Well, I, I, I see what you're, you're 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 saying: online program versus a yeah. brick and mortar, yeah. or and even and so, just expectations of your DMP education. Yeah, well, how did mm-hmm. you know where to go, what to do, what programs did you look at? Mm-hmm. So I did. I looked at a whole gamut of programs. I mean, there's DNP programs across the country now online where they don't meet. You never meet any of your professors face to face or um, much like Iowa, where part of it's online, but your professors are available to you to meet face to face. And I really like that style of learning better. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about face to face interaction. I mean, and maybe it's the nurse in me, but I like to be able to read body language and I like to be able to assess a situation with my eyes. And sometimes I think that when a program is all online and you don't have the ability to have face-to-face interaction at any point in your education, then um, then it can it can really... I don't know. I just feel like when there's an exchange of ideas, it just... It, it moves you forward. The relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's my bias, and I guess that's why I asked the question mm-hmm. is, but even when I've been teaching for Iowa, I have to pay attention to some screen behind me right. that people are online listening, plus mm-hmm. 20 or 30 people around the table. And I find that really, really hard, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know what they're thinking. I don't see the bored look on their face, or I don't see the rolled eyes. or mm-hmm. It's know. hard. Yeah. And I'll tell you, technology is catching up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this um, We could do a Zoom meeting now. for So when our, anyway, I don't want to veer off, but technology helps because I can actually see faces now similar oh, okay. to like a go-to meeting when we meet. And But there's nothing that substitutes for, but we make them come on campus every other week because, oh, and it's right. a, um, this is for the, you know, the clinical supervised spots. So what spots do you say to people, and what, you know, when you as a leader and as the head NP for your program, somebody comes to you and says, who are you going to hire? Where do you hire from? Are you going to, are you going to hire um, another nurse practitioner who did uh, a program like here. I'm not saying. I'm, I'm, are you going to look at somebody? How do you know who to hire? Are you going to hire somebody from who did a completely online program? Mm-hmm. And and what resources did they have available to their learning? You know, I think that's that's a tough question to answer. I mean, I think my bias answer would be no. That I would if I had two people who were interviewing and equally did equally well in their interview process and I was just looking at resumes, I would probably go with the person who had an education with a program where there were 
good clinicals that I, you know, were set up by the university or college. Um, and I don't know. I just, the programs where you're asked to set up your own clinicals always makes me a little bit nervous. I mean, a lot of our right. people are are getting set up with or setting themselves up with, with good clinicals, but... It's, it matters. I, it I does matter. It when, does. I, when I did my NP late in the 20th century, Tessie <laughs> and I were, were old, um, I, I was living in Boston at the time, and I knew that I desperately wanted to become... It had been a lifelong dream to become a nurse practitioner. And um, I went and interviewed as just as a nurse, not just, take that back, as a nurse. Mm -hmm. I went and interviewed chief nurse practitioners. That's what they were called in Boston, the chief nurse practitioner at various hospitals and um, and clinics. And I said, who do you hire? What schools do you look to hire from? And they told me, and that was the school that I went to. So I went and did a lot of homework um, like you did, but now as a chief nurse, nurse practitioner, you know, it's important for people out there oh, to know. Oh, I think know you need to. to the, really, the employer needs to yeah. know what they're getting into. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so so I think it's really important for people, mm-hmm. when you're looking at an NP program, when you're looking at a doctoral program, to go and think about what do I want to do afterwards and who are they hiring. Yeah. You know, the um, we have to close, but I think there's one question. I don't know if we have enough time for it, which is, what kept you from adding on the acute care nurse practitioner? So, and do you think the family practice was the? I mean, this is a big discussion oh, point, and yeah, maybe this we is a should. Big discussion, yeah. I don't know if we should leave this for another <laughs> um, topic um, and end up. You want to, we want, oh, Andrew is yeah, saying he wants wanna, to get into it. We all want to get into this. Then let's just leave it at this. This is a good um, show. Unless we, no, we can, we'll leave it at this. We Maybe we'll bring it, it back next time. And, yeah, I think and this talking would be a great about this to talk because, about this. Um, and leave it for now is like a really great example, Melissa, of someone who, you know, chose nursing uh, for really interesting reasons and then pursued education for, you know, purposeful getting at the table to bring nursing mm-hmm. to a point that is going to really make a big change in and, a system that needs do, nursing voices. Absolutely. And I just remember, and I hope that's what you found, that after I finished my NP work, I thought now I would be a really great bedside nurse. Yeah. It was that extra couple of years of education that taught me even more. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I really loved your comment about your passion for education and your belief in continuing to pursue further education and how it changes you. Thank you for saying that. It was really great to meet you here today, Thank Melissa. Thank you. It was great to meet you. Good luck, Melissa, because classes you, Melissa. start soon, don't they? They do. In All August. Right. Yep. Enjoy All right. your free yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys, and we'll see you again. And see you again. All right. It's been see great. Bye-bye. Friends of Flow is brought to you by NCLEX Mastery. Go to the App Store right now, download NCLEX Mastery, and before you leave, if you could just share this with your nursing friends, tell them about us, leave us feedback, go to our Facebook page, tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't love so much, be nice. But thank you so much. We really appreciate you.